Welcome to The Institute, a podcast on the lives and work of fellows and friends of the Institute for the Arts and Humanities at the University of North Carolina at Chapel Hill. I'm Sophia Ramos. In this episode, Philip Hollingsworth sits down with Lisa Lindsay, a Bowman and Gordon Gray Distinguished Term Professor and Chair of the Department of History. In their conversation, they discuss her latest book, Atlantic Bonds, a 19th century odyssey from America to Africa, and the unique challenges she faced in the biography of a minor historical figure, as well as what she values during the writing process. Thank you for for talking with me today. Thank you for having me. I'm delighted to be here. So the name of your latest book is Atlantic Bonds, a 19th century odyssey from America to Africa. Can you talk a little bit about about your book and what it's about? I am happy to. The book is loosely organized around the life history of someone we've never heard of, whose name was James Churchill, Churchwell Vaughn, who went by church in his real life, Church Vaughn, who was an African-American from South Carolina, born in the 1820s, who in the 1850s made what turned out to be a permanent migration to West Africa. And he had all sorts of adventures there uh, and lived another 40 years after he arrived in West Africa. And I used the narrative of his life in the 65 years or so of the 19th century to understand the conditions that operated on Africans and people of African descent, both in West Africa and in the American South. And so because he migrated and his family stayed behind, Mm. I can use both of their stories in parallel to tell a comparative but also a linked story about, like I said, prospects for people of African descent in these connected but very separate parts of the Atlantic world. Can you talk a little bit about, in the introduction, you touch upon this, how you found about this historical figure, Church Vaughn, and what happened afterwards and as that story unfolded? Well, I thought I was going to write a book having to do with Nigerian women because my previous book had been about transformations in gender relations under colonialism in southwest Nigeria, in the Yoruba-speaking part of Nigeria. And I thought I would do more of that. So I read a biography of a prominent women's rights activist from the mid-20th century. And at the very beginning of the biography, it said that her grandfather had come to Lagos, Nigeria from South Carolina in the 1850s. And I did a double take and immediately wanted to know that person's story. And that person's story ends up being my book. But um, at first, I just tried to find out whatever I could about him. So I was going to Nigeria for summer research anyway, thinking I was undertaking this other project. And while I was there, I just started asking people. And the old school Lagos elite is very interconnected. And once I started asking the right people, do you know this family? They put me in touch with members of the family, um, cousins, the sister of the person whose biography I had read, in fact. And they all knew about this grandfather figure. But what they knew mostly came from an article that had been published about him in Ebony Magazine in 1975. So they kept trotting out this old, heavily thumbed up copy of Ebony Magazine from 1975. And the story was 
phenomenal yeah. uh, once, I, once I read it. And it just made me more intrigued and want to know more. As it turned out, several years, many years, following the paper trail of Church Vaughn, the Ebony story got some things wrong and some things right. And yeah. it was interesting to me what they got wrong and why certain narratives about him had been passed down through the generations that turned out not literally to be true. So that became part of the story, too, how he was remembered and what that meant mm-hmm. in certain contexts. But this all led me down the path of trying to construct both a nitty-gritty biography of an unknown person, which has its methodological challenges, yeah. but also trying to situate him in a larger context and to figure out what his story could tell us about that larger context that maybe we didn't already know or that would amplify things that we did know or make us see things in a different way. Yeah. Could you speak a little bit about those challenges that you referenced about writing a biography of, I guess you would say, a minor historical figure? There's probably not much... Sure. It's not like writing a biography of Thomas Jefferson, who left a large body of published writings. Church Vaughn left, as far as I could tell, one letter in the documentary record that he wrote. It was a letter to a missionary society in the 1870s. And so I had to come at him from all around him rather Mm. than from himself. And luckily, he was known about and written about by various groups of people at various times who did leave written records. So the way he got to Liberia, the way he first went to Africa was to Liberia with the American Colonization Society, which left voluminous records. So I could trace him through the records of the American Colonization Society. He then went to Nigeria from Liberia with some missionaries from the Southern Baptist Convention, and the missionaries kept terrific records. And in fact, the Southern Baptist archives in Richmond and Nashville are terrific, full of all these missionary letters home and accounts of what was going on. And some of those, in fact, have been published as well. So I can could come at Church Vaughn in these through other people's eyes, Mm -hmm. essentially. And that's what I had to do. And then to reconstruct the story of his family and his descendants was in some ways easier because the ones who stayed in the United States um, after the period of slavery, ended up on the in the written record in okay. one way or another, yeah. and I could I could follow them. And then his descendants in Nigeria became quite well known and elite. They were wealthy and educated, and some of them were politically active. His grandson founded the first anti-colonial political party in Lagos. His oh, wow. granddaughter was this women's rights activist who brought me to his project in the first yeah. place. So they were well documented. Mm-hmm. Unfortunately, there still are places in the book where I have to say, Vaughn must have done such and such, right. or he must have reasoned that, da-da-da. And that's just unavoidable. But mm-hmm. I was able to piece together, I think, a, a very compelling and believable narrative based on what yeah. other people said. What part of South Carolina was his family in? Camden, which is up country. It's okay. about 30 miles from Columbia, okay. South Carolina. And the first part of the book, in fact, looks at his parents there in mm-hmm. the first part of the 19th century. As the South Carolina upcountry was peopled by increasing numbers of Europeans or people of European descent and Africans or people of African descent displacing the local Catawba and other native peoples. And in fact, Vaughn's own oh, genealogy wow. comes out of this. His mother was 
probably, again, I'm speculating, right. but it's an informed speculation. His mother was probably of Catawba, European, and African ancestry. His father was African-American and came to South Carolina from Virginia with the father's master. His father was enslaved, and that family came from Virginia, as many did, um, with the expansion of the cotton frontier in the first couple of decades of the 19th century. What do you find to be some of the greatest rewards in writing? I must say I really enjoy the process. In what way? Of putting what at first is relatively vague ideas on paper and then continuing to organize them and shape them and refine paragraphs and sentences and make it into something that more precisely conveys my meaning. Mm -hmm. And for me, as I think for many writers, I actually do my thinking in the process of the writing. So the ideas start out as vague, and the more the craft of writing is, is imposed on them, the more the ideas become specific as well. And so I enjoy that. I enjoy culling the research notes that I've got and trying to put them in, in shape. And then the, the other rewards of writing is that you end up with something that travels beyond you that right. other people read without having met you, that other people um, can then engage with on their own terms as, as well. And that's a, that's a very gratifying process. With regards to this book, have you received any surprising feedback with people who have read it and contacted you about it? As I mentioned, part of the book debunks the version of the story that was told in Ebony Magazine in 1975. Right, yeah. Not a lot of ordinary people have read this article from Ebony yeah. in 1975, but everybody who's connected with the family has. Okay. And so when All right. <laughs> I started writing That's a different own, story... It's their family legend, isn't it? It's their family legend, and they didn't like it being tampered with. Wow. Especially because I'm afraid the version that hues more closely to the evidentiary record is not quite as exciting and dramatic right. as the one that was passed down through the generations and then okay. recorded by Ebony Magazine. Yeah. So I've gotten some feedback from members of the family who suggest that my version can't possibly be accurate mm -hmm. because it goes against the documentation that they cite, which is Ebony Magazine. So there's an interesting process of, of feedback between oral and written history. They're saying that their version is correct because it's the oral history, but they know it's the oral history because they got it in Ebony Magazine. Ebony cites the family, right. and so it's a continual uh, yeah. feedback loop. Yeah, I wonder, do you have any idea about how Ebony picked that, that magazine picked that up in the first place? Or Yes, yeah, because one of the... Descendants of this family, uh -huh. um, who was in touch with her cousins in Nigeria. This was an African American woman in Chicago. Oh, okay, yeah. descended from the American side of the family. Oh, I see. Was in touch with her cousins in Nigeria mm -hmm. um, in the 1950s, 60s, 70s. Yeah, and so knew about the story. Yeah, and this Chicago woman was 
well-known in the same African-American Chicago circles where the editors and reporters oh, of Ebony okay. Magazine Yeah, so she circulated. had this family story that yeah. got picked. Oh, wow. Yeah. And so I should say, too, when I was describing the project, an important feature of this is that the different branches of the family kept in touch over about oh, okay. a century. Wow. And that back and forth is part of what enables my comparison, mm-hmm. but it's also what kept the story alive yeah. and made the publishers of Ebony interested in it in I the see. 1970s. So their, their angle was this family has kept in touch for a century. Yeah. And then the other angle for them was that this was a real-life Roots story. Mm. Their version came out about six months before Roots, but Alex Haley had been very you know, public about what was coming, and okay. everybody knew the Roots story was and in broad outline and, and that it was about to be released. And, and the hook line of the Vaughn story in Ebony was that this is even better than Roots. Oh, I see. Um, Because this family not only knows their African relatives, but they've kept kept in touch with them all this time. There seems to be a richness in the family, just in the American side. They end up moving to Chicago, which was a huge, like, historical, that the so-called Great Migration up to it, those uh, northeastern cities in the Midwest. Sure, if somebody wanted to just do an African-American history of this family, it would be very interesting, too, because one piece stayed in South Carolina, one mm-hmm. piece went to New York, and one piece went to Chicago. So there oh, is wow. a great migration yeah, story yeah. there. Um, and as you can imagine, the ones who went to Chicago and New York, in economic terms, fared a lot better than the ones who mm-hmm. stayed in Camden, South Carolina. What's a book that changed your life? When I was in college as an undergrad, I was just starting to get interested in Africa. And in one course, I took on um, an anthropology course, actually. I was assigned a novel called The Joys of Motherhood by Buchi Amacheta, who's a Nigerian female author. Very prolific, but that was the first introduction I had to it. And that book changed my life. It's a it's a great novel. I still assign it almost every time I teach an introduction to modern Africa. I have mm. my undergrads read it. And in some ways, it can be seen as a successor to Things Fall Apart, which is about the imposition of colonialism in Nigeria. This yeah. takes place in the same place, but a generation later. And the central figure is a woman born in the early decades of the 20th century who spends her life trying to be a success according to the values she grew up with, which is to build a big family. And as colonialism takes hold, first in her region and then throughout Nigeria, the material conditions change so that by the time her children are adults, their values are very, very different from hers, and she's completely out of touch. And this sounds really boring for a novel. Like, there's, that doesn't yeah, yeah, sound yeah. like there's a lot of action. And, of course, the, the, the best thing about novels is their ability to kind of bring you along with the narrative detail. So I'm not doing justice to the beautiful writing of right. this book. Yeah. But what it opened my eyes to was that large-scale political and cultural political and economic transformations affect people's families and affect people in their day-to-day mm-hmm. life and affect the choices they make on a very basic level. And so although I couldn't have said this when it was assigned to me as an undergraduate, it made me a social historian. That's great. Well, thank you very much. I appreciate your time. Thank you for having me. I've enjoyed talking with you. Check back at iah.unc.edu for the latest news on our fellows and upcoming events at Hyde Hall. You can find all the episodes of our podcast on our website, as well as iTunes, SoundCloud, and Stitcher. 
Please like us on Facebook and follow us on Twitter at IAH underscore UNC.